Superbrain is a labour of love. Alas, no podcast can survive on love alone. We don't have a sponsor, so we need your support for Superbrain to stay alive and kicking. You can make a one-off donation by following the Support This Show link in the show or episode description. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavour. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hello and welcome to Superbrain, the podcast for everyone with a brain. My name is Sabina Brennan. I'm a psychologist and neuroscientist, and I am fascinated by people like you, people like me, and people like comedian Joanne McNally. In this episode of Superbrain, I continue my conversation with refreshingly honest Joanne McNally about being adopted, identity, living with not one, but two eating disorders, recovery, and finding and losing herself in comedy. Joanne has a unique ability to talk openly about difficult issues in a humorous and entertaining way that doesn't dilute the seriousness, but shines a spotlight on the issue and I'm sure helps many people in the process. Enjoy the episode. I think all of us, as part of the human condition, is that we, we create stories about why we do things. And sometimes those stories are completely off the wall, but just that's what we have to do. We have to explain why we do something. So correct me if I'm wrong, but in terms of your eating disorder, you kind of explained that in some way as uh, not wanting to grow up, wanting yeah. to stay a child. I think so. And I you still feel that that was that? I think. Was it be- be- can I ask? Was it be- both bul- bulimia, bulimia and anorexia, anorexia? Everything. I have a very oh. good work ethic. I really went to Yeah, you went to whole hog. Um, I think I have uh, whatever. I think there's a certain... I think my mind is wired a certain way. There's right. always going to be something. There's always going to be something. There's always going to be something. But I think I was... When you say, now just, when you say there's always going to be something, something that, that, just clarify that. There's I, always I think gonna I be, know what you mean, but... I feel like there's always going to be, uh, like, some addiction issue or I always have okay. to kind of rein myself in for things or there's, there was definitely like, I'm more settled with myself. I felt very estranged from myself. I was like, a, I was estranged from myself. I wasn't at peace While with myself. You were before you had the eating disorder? Yeah. Before you had it? And when I had it. And okay. after. And everything. I'm only really kind of settling into myself in the last two or three years. But you see, I think that's re- like, <laughs> I think that's really interesting uh, because who we are is constantly evolving. True. So to expect yourself to be fully whole and formed yeah. as a child is it, like... But a, I was in my 20s. Like, I just was not at home in myself. So I was always... You, you were uncomfortable in your own skin? Yeah. No? I just didn't understand. I just wasn't at peace with myself. So I was always trying to change myself and improve myself. And of course, as a woman, one way to improve yourself is to make yourself thin. Thin, 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 thin. And of course, then it became an absolute obsession and yeah I was That's mental it's 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 it, it, well it's actually quite phenomenal how many people in oh in yeah the, because uh, it's a really co- it's a really it's a really f- physically 
visible way you're told to improve yourself so while your your mind is going up and down and in and out and you don't understand your own thoughts and you're you have imposter syndrome in almost every area of your life your weight is something you can control it's that old thing they always say it's about control it's not actually about your weight really or body dysmorphia which is sort of one of the other theories where you don't see yeah what you actually look well, I, like I, I definitely had a like i remember once seeing a picture of myself and being like whoa i really didn't think i was i still thought i was bigger than everyone else and i saw a picture of myself and it was it was very clear i was unwell yeah and i remember like i i, I kind of so I had a moment of clarity for like 30 seconds. And was this while you were still in it? Yeah. Still, still really got, kind of going but, through. Yeah, but at this stage I'd had to leave work and I was starting a treatment program. So I was prob- I was at my worst really. Okay, but there was a glimmer of Oh god, I look I look whoa. I look weird there. Right. I was like I look weird there. But then you go, oh it's a weird angle, it's this that and the other. I know that's just because I always lost weight in my face. It's my hips are the problem. Like you, you're the yeah. eating disorder kicks in then again yeah. to make sure it's defending itself. Um, yeah. But I remember when, I, so I wrote a show, Bite Me, about it, which was like a comedy theater. I thought it was stand up, but in hindsight, it absolutely was not. It was comedy theater, dark right, comedy okay. theater. Yeah, yeah. Um, and it's all based around this one. I, I kind of took all my therapy sessions and put it into like the epiphanies like a couple of like moments of clarity where you have these little epiphanies where you're like oh maybe I'm not on a detox and oh maybe I can't sustain this for the rest of my life and oh maybe recovery doesn't just mean getting fat and maybe it would be nice to be able to go for dinner with my friends again all those kind of things but I remember um the big kind of moment for me was uh when the therapist was like why do you want to be so thin like what is this and did you have an answer I was like well first ones I was like uh um, it means I'm successful. Okay. I know, every, everywhere tells me that. Like all the thin people are successful. So that I equated thinness with success. Um, and it makes me more attractive. Okay. And she was like, okay. And she went through them. And at the time, I'd obviously had to, she, she was like, success in what? And I was like, well, my job. And she's like, and how's your work going at the moment? And I was like, well, obviously I've been let go. <laughs> and I'm back living in my mother's attic. And they're like, oh, in relationships, you say it makes you more attracted to men. How's your love life? And I was like, well, obviously it's in tatters. So it was this moment of all the things that I thought that I was gaining by being Your own thin, story that you had created to justify yeah, your behavior. Were the things I'd already had and my eating disorder had meant that I'd actually lost that them. You, yeah. So that was a real like light bulb moment for me when I was like, oh God, and what am I doing? And was that a light bulb moment to recovery yeah so somebody showing a mirror up to you to kind of say well okay let's test your theory exactly right look where you are yeah look look where look around you you're in a you're in a you're in a psych ward yeah and like what are you doing come here was there do you can you there's a couple of things jump out to me that are really interesting because i do understand that myself i would have been as a child i remember my mother took me to the doctor when i was nine because i had uh, constant headaches and I couldn't ever sleep mm. and the doctor actually told my mother that I was trying too hard to please her oh my god yeah which was kind of really weird um transpires it's migraine going back the whole way but but I didn't discover that until kind of a few years ago yeah. but um I definitely would have been not a people pleaser but always trying to be uh to do what my mother wanted yeah or, you know like, to be the good one or the one who got it right and, and that was without going into that that was quite challenging anyway because you would have had to be inside her head to figure out who she wanted you to be mm. um and and I just something when you when you said that that 
you know, you wanted to be successful, you wanted to be good, you wanted to be, and this was a way you found to do it. I've tried to find other ways, tried to be good at school, tried to be good at acting, tried to, you know, do things that I thought um, brought pleasure. And I, I, I'm just wondering, do you think, who who was it you were trying to show you were successful or good? Was it parents? Was it teachers? Was it yourself? Is there, was it friend like is can you There's can you da- thinking back was there a trigger or or no there was no one trigger i i do remember thinking that my purpose was to be considered attractive your purpose in life was to be considered attractive right. that oh, that that's... was that was the main priority and nothing else was really as important as that i i'd very little um so I suppose I'd low self-esteem. I, I I suppose most people do. But in Ireland, we do. Because you yeah. see, you're like I would have been brought up to say, you know, that it's a modest to say anything good about yourself. Yeah, there was a bit and, of that, all right. Yeah. And, was, I, and I'm just thinking, actually, so I'm looking, you just said your mum's in her early 70s. Mm. So my eldest son is 30 and I'm only in my 50s. So, you know, do, do you know? There's yeah. A, so I think, you know, given your mum's age, she would have still been, you know, in that more modesty thing. I think mm. we're kind of changing a bit where we're trying to boost, you know, yes. people's sense of self and, and believe in yourself. And even if you do that, I tried really hard with my kids. They still have, yeah. you know, those kind of issues that, that we all have. But yeah. So, I mean, I don't know where it comes from, but it does seem to be very peculiarly Irish. You look at other cultures. Yeah, well, I think... Big sense of self and how brilliant they are. And There's... Um, thing would be humility that that's no one likes to show off that's kind right. of the vibe of Ireland really not maybe not anymore but it certainly was and as well there's no when if I think about it now like I was a very I was it was looking back um it was clear that I was a uh, show pony yeah <laughs> like it you just was perform. yeah I did um I don't know where it came from I arrived with it because I'm adopted, which was also interesting because as a child, I was fascinated with things that I could do that my family couldn't do and things that my family could do that I couldn't do. So, for example, my dad was um, amazing at maths, just a really mathematical mind, like just numbers were so easy to him. And I was the polar opposite. Like I struggle, I still struggle with numbers. I've no interest. My my brain just switches off. I was much more languagey focused. Um, I was a good writer as a child. I remember, you know, kind of being stood up to read my stories out in primary school. And I remember in my mind going, why? How come I can do that? And why is that a str- that was like a strength? And I was like, where did it come from? As an adopted child, you can imagine all. And you sorts. knew all along you were adopted. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. So yeah. you're you're you were trying to figure out your own. Who what, am I? What? Yeah. So every <laughs> child is trying to figure out who they are, and yeah. I had no. But blueprint. you had that. You had the. You had the extra of that because it's funny thing is, and and this is going to sound really really weird, but a lot of children who grow up with their own parents who feel. Um, are going through that who am I and maybe don't like what they see around them and what they came from are kind of going God I hope maybe I was adopted I know do you know which know. is like so crazy I know, isn't gas, it yeah. you know and whereas the adopted one is then going well who am I but there is something about being kind of spa- you're like spat out of a spaceship 
rather than you've no context for yourself you can't look back and be like oh yeah so that's my father that's my birth mother and that's why I have that head and that nose and la 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 and that's why I can do that and I can't do that and you're right maybe you have skills and abilities that no one else in your family does have but as an adopted kid you can't figure that out so there was a lot that was kind of the struggle growing up who am I and did you wonder um, did you wonder because it wasn't until much later that because you, you did get to meet your birth mother and, yeah. your, and your birth father but that was much later mm. did you wonder up to that point when you're a kid and you're trying to figure out who you are whether there was something bad in in your parents or were, did you imagine did you did you fantasize them and, and you know imagine them as these wonderful amazing parents? actors actors performers right. also I, I knew I knew that I like and I mean as a child being a great I, I was you know was given the good parts in the plays and the main reason was I could project my voice when you're young that's your they're like Jesus she's a great voice she doesn't even need a microphone that was my skill I was very confident on stage yeah. um, and very loud so I got all the good parts and I was like how come I can do this where did that come from so I fantasised in my brain that I was from this Di- acting dynasty maybe it was panto maybe it was twink yeah. maybe it was i remember uh, w- you come with these documents when you're adopted that give you a physical description of your birth parents and their hobbies and stuff and uh, my birth dad kevin is his name was i i had so much hair i still have so much hair like i'd shave every three minutes but i've had laser now uh, but i'd like so just <laughs> hair the hair was always a huge thing and right. that came from him it was it was described in that little document thing. What that he's They're hairy. kind of instructions that you get. They're like feed the baby this at this time and, and this is what and she And her like. dad is hairy. Ha- yeah, loads of hair. It was described <laughs> as he had a big head of hair because my birth mother was the one giving them the information and I don't want to talk about her too much because she's not that uh, cool with it. But so it was like all the hair. So I found and he was really tall and I was really tall. And um, so I was like, I remember this whiskey ad. Um, I could sing weirdly it, that went i don't know that was probably you the can't bags. sing anymore no i don't really <laughs> sing now um but i was this little performing yeah. child and so i was like that's obviously come from somewhere so there was this whiskey ad on the telly and it was a, a man with loads of hair playing the bear on and i latched onto that and i was like that's my birth father so then i found them and i was like where's this showbiz dynasty and they were like what yeah he's an electrician she works in a chemist yeah no, yeah. no background. Nothing. See, I don't. Yeah, I mean, I it, it's kind of funny because I, I mean, for very different reasons, would have been um, uh, very unsure of who I was growing up, mm. and it's not just me. You know, siblings have gone into therapy, like you know who you are, and that was around how we were brought up. It was very much yeah we we were meant to be who you wanted us to be and that makes it very hard to figure out who you are and dare you stray from it. Then you know. yeah, so there's a lot of families like that. Um, but uh, but I was a performer too, you know, yeah. and if I wasn't, so for me it was acting, excuse me, and there's no history of that in my family, but I think for me that was my therapy, that was how I could get to try out different people and try yeah. things on, different things, and I've never, I've done theatre and I'm actually classically trained in, in, in theatre, but but I never had a desire to be on stage in theatre, mm. because for me it wasn't about the the audience for me it was like you know figuring out and that's actually why I switched from acting to become uh, in later life to become a psychologist people said to me you know what why why are you you know moving from that to that there's a big jump no it's not a big jump I just want to understand human behavior yeah I want to understand what makes me tick why I not just me but everybody yeah why we do what we do and that was the same reason I was an actor and I loved being an actor um and I still would love it you know but um uh, it's about 
for me the acting the buzz was figuring out why that person would say that and yeah. what they're saying and what they're thinking when they're not saying the words and I think that was kind of part of kind of a figuring sort of figuring yourself out yeah but I do have to say with age that you do start to get more comfortable in your own skin. I don't know if... I See, I don't think that there's any set who you are. No. I think we're different in different contexts. I agree. I remember I read this book recently called... It was a game theory, basically, how in certain situations... Like, there, there we have three stages of ourselves. The parent, the child... What was the other one? I don't know. There was parent, child. What would be a third stage? And in different situations... But isn't that funny? You've just linked it to parent and child. I know. It, it, me, me, the individual. Yeah, know. but in certain like in certain situations, I'll react like a child. Like, say, you know, whether it be over some boyfriend issue or something, and I'll, I'll act like a child. Then in other situations, I'm an absolute parent. Yes. Do you know what I mean? And, like, different situations will trigger different reactions in you, and um, I find that book fascinating. I also find it really helpful. Oh, right. Okay. That's yeah. good. That's good. Yeah. Not as helpful as your book. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass? So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. So something that really jumped out at me again, I, I felt like I was stalking you, you know, when you're kind of um kind of reading, but it, it it is interesting. I found you to be extremely um I really found your your you know, for somebody who's up on stage, what I loved the virtue, if it's called a virtue or whatever, the thing I value most in people is honesty. Mm. Matters to me over all things. Tell me the feckin' truth. I might hate it for a minute, but don't lie to me. Don't tell me that's great or, you know, you like this or you don't like that because that's really being mean to me. You yeah. know, just be honest and I value it. And if anyone ever asks my opinion, I will give an honest one. So the thing that really jumped out at me about, you know, you know, reading stuff on your website, listening to interviews, listening to other things you've you, you've done and snippets and things that you, you you wrote for magazines was just the straight up honesty. I just loved it. It was just very raw and very human. And while sometimes when you're being interviewed, you can see the show face. Yeah, you know, yeah. You can see that show face. We all kind of have a show face, and you're you have conscious. to have a show face. Yeah. Well, yeah. You, you know, but. It it was all it's all coming for a, from a very real honest place and I kind of I I really like that and 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 again for the same reason because I'm interested in how people tick you know what what makes them work and I'm kind of in I sometimes think humans are a bit like puzzles mm. and I can't help myself but I want to try and solve it you know and you can't sometimes you can't but I still can't help that trying to figure and um and relating that to that you know yeah um and and one thing that jumped out at me you talked about 
your childhood and uh, you know how maybe you're rejecting adulthood and you know um how you're you're a big child at heart and how that might have related to your your um uh your eating disorder um what jumped out at me was that you said and, and do you mind if i quote i can't no, remember what this is from but um you might remember where it's from um there was something about comedy that really felt fulfilling to me right from the start, though. I don't really believe in fate, but I think that if I'd had to keep keep on doing PR, PR, I probably wouldn't have recovered. I started getting some momentum and then I got signed in the UK and things went from there. But for me, that big sentence there is it, you felt fulfilled. Yeah. And in a way, the question I want to ask is. So you were trying to find who you are and what I see as fulfilling when you're doing comedy that that you are so in the flow you lose yourself and mm. you're not thinking about who you are and to me that's how you find yourself and and for me what i think from that statement is in comedy you found yourself even though it's yeah. because you lose yourself does i find like i when i'm on stage like i just i just love it like i feel like that's my probably truest Self. and it's not because it's a hammed up version of me of course but I just adore it and like I was so lost and I think that's why I got so ill I just I just wasn't doing what I should have been doing um and I feel like growing up acting performing wasn't considered a real job it was considered a hobby and that you had to get a real job and that that's why it was all part of why I got so sick I think that I just had no sense of purpose I didn't I got no um satisfaction out of my work really uh, and it no all felt wrong everything just felt wrong 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 and then when I started doing stand-up and when I started going on stage I started acting in a, in a play that's how I ended up in stand-up um everything felt it felt right everything just fell into place and clicked and had I had to recover without comedy being the prize then I wouldn't have, I don't think I would have done it because being thin would have been more fulfilling than going back to Because you had control uh, over, you were, you, you were in a, in a job that you had no control. And I mean, the thing is when it comes to eating disorders as well, like some of the neuroscience is around that it's linked to reward and, and punishment, mm. you know, and, and that not quite operating and in the achievement. Way. I felt like and I was achieving something. I think that's what I was missing in my in job your, as well. In your, in your, yeah. In your I job. Was, I was achieving something by losing weight. Like every day you could wake up and you were a winner again because you, you dropped another pound. Yeah, exactly. You had purpose and yeah. there was a goal. You were setting a goal. And I mean, yeah. I firmly believe it. And, and that that's kind of why I'm not a fan of retirement is, is that everybody has to have goals. Everybody yeah. has to have purpose. You have to matter. Otherwise, like, what is the point? You yeah. have to be achieving something. So for me, I went into, um, and just I see so many parallels that I wasn't expecting to see, which is really, really funny because I couldn't be further from, you know, being a, <laughs> a, a comedian. But but I really do see some of the parallels in that I can still remember clearly the day the drama teacher came into our primary school and told us what drama classes were about I was eight yeah and I ran home and I begged my mother you know can I please do this this is what I want to do I felt just loved it I happened to be good at it and blah blah kind of went on from there but then when I became that that grown up and I, I mean I did my leaving at 16 so I wasn't really that grown up yeah but my father now was 42 when I was born so he was quite well on like you know even at that stage um 
I couldn't have said out loud that I wanted to be an actor. In fact, mm. I didn't think ordinary people became actors, you know, and that's way back before we had the internet. But it's all, that's what I dreamt about at night was, yeah. you know, being in the movies when I watched, you know, Little House on the Prairie, I was playing the part, you know, that's just who and what I wanted to be. But I daren't say it out loud. I mean, as far as my father was concerned and of his generation, and don't get me wrong, he was a wonderful man and really, really nice, but his generation believed that acting was the next profession to prostitution you know because of the history etc with it so I couldn't say it out loud that I want to be an actor and I think a lot of us want to just please our dads yeah so I went to work in um the fifth child all he wanted his ambition for his children was for um them to work in the life the life insurance company that he'd worked in all his life yeah so um I did that and I did that for 15 years and um I got married and now one thing I got my mortgage out of it which was great great. mortgage at 24 Um, and I followed that trajectory and I'll be perfectly honest like I just followed the you get a job you get a husband you have kids do you know Mm. and I was I was conscious that I should have kids uh, very early because I had older siblings and they hadn't got kids and you know that you know, things don't necessarily work out. So that's about as far as I thought in detail about having kids was, oh, I better have them yeah. in case I can't have them. Yes, yeah. Uh, but there was no, you know, big decision. So like I was pregnant the first year I got married and, you know, got on, you know, had another two after. And it was only then at that point when I had two little boys, little toddlers, and I was in this job that I hated and was totally unfulfilled. And, you know, you work to save money to go on holidays or to go out you know, and forget about it. But Mm. once you have kids, you didn't have money to do that. So you an awful lot of time to think. And I said, I don't want them ending up in a job like I am. I want a better future for them. And I'm going to raise my kids to find what they love and find a way to get paid to to do do that. Um, Great theory. Not everyone can do it though. No, but... I realized that kids learn by example. Yeah. And I said, how, how am I go? So I jacked in my job um, and I had finished my teacher's diploma and set up a little drama school and then I became an actor and I yeah. worked as an actor for um, for 10 years and, and did, you know, did quite well at it and, uh, and it kind of worked out. But it's that thing that you're saying there that like for 15 years, I didn't do what I loved. And there was no way, like my mother would even say to me, oh, would you not go into, um, would you not go into Talk of the Towns or would you not go into amateur drama? And I'm kind of going, no, I want to be a professional. Yeah. And I'm not doing that amateur stuff. Like it's either all or nothing. Mm. Um, and it kind of is interesting because it just, when you've kind of got a passion like that, it just halts everything. Some people are so like, they knew themselves, I feel like they knew themselves so well, so young. Like, I remember this girl in school, Nula was her name, and she, when we were 17, doing our leaving search, and she was like, I want to be a radiologist. And I was like, what? I thought it was like a pirate radio station. I was like, what? Because <laughs> I want to be a radiologist. And she became a radiologist, and she is still a radiologist. Right. Like, I'm still kind of thinking, listen, if this comedy thing doesn't work out, I'll go back, I'll do this, that, and the other. Like, to be so self-assured yeah. at that age, I was so envious of it. I remember another girl, another friend of mine, Audrey, um, she's a dentist and she actually wanted to be a beautician, but she comes from a long line of dentists and her parents were very uh, definite that she was going to be a dentist. And I remember being really envious of that because my family was like, they were more so, and she was, my mum was, was trying to give me free freedom um but you know i knew that i wasn't really allowed to do the acting thing but she was open to other things but um 
I had no, I felt like I had no real direction. I wanted to be told what, what to, to do. do. I yeah. wanted to be told if what to do. you couldn't do what you wanted to do. I wanted to be told what to do. You have validated. to do this. You need to go do, be a, lo- be a solicitor, do medicine, whatever. Like, this is what you, I was just dying for someone to tell me what I should do. Do you think I just flailed around how, then. How are you on decisions? Because I remember Terrible. Thinking, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I'm really suggestible. Like, I can't be left on my own with the laptop for too long or I'll start believing the earth is flat. Like, I'm very really? suggestible. Yeah. I make no decisions on my own. Like, I just... Um, I ended up doing arts in UCD. I did English and sociology. And I loved sociology. I wanted to be a writer. Great, they're both great subjects for comedy. Yeah, they're brilliant. I yeah. love sociology. Oh my God, I loved it so much. And I mean, it took me seven years to do my degree because I was such, that I was fanning around so much. Ask. It was just... Sure, I didn't know what I, I I just was like, what am I, why am I here? I don't get right. it. I don't get, I don't get it. But then I, everyone thought that I was... Um, thick which I was really <laughs> concerned me then because I knew I wasn't thick so I went back and I studied really hard in my final year and then I came first in my degree uh, first in my year in, in sociology so because of that you get offered this like doctorate you can skip the masters you get a oh, you get really? a scholarship whatever to do a doctorate and I was like yeah I'll do that and then my friend only was like I don't think you'd like it you'd be on your own all the time Um, I don't think academia would suit you and I was like okay <laughs> so I just didn't do it right. and, I end, and I've ended up in a job where I'm on my own all the time anyway but everything worked out but my point is that I allow we still joke about it but like I allowed Anya to make that massive decision for me because I don't trust my own instincts I never have even on stage I have to remind myself no 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 don't do what you think Other Kevin Bridges like, would do do yeah, what do you I, would do yeah yeah because then you've what nobody do you else do? to blame but yeah. yourself and you, you you're learning from it what do you really think about this Joanne what is your real opinion on this not what do you think is the popular or the trendy opinion what is your actual and opinion and I think that's really hard to do and I think it's a yeah because it really, turns out you're a fascist really good... <laughs> no I'm kidding I'm no, not a fascist no but I actually think it brings us really nicely to that bit kind of where we're, where we're talking about um tips for for people yes and I actually think that's because I just think that's so true I you know in in life when when I've made stupid decisions actually if I think back at them they weren't really my decisions yeah. I let other people sway me so will we start you off with, we with you know when you're one that that almost I think that's a brilliant tip to yeah. to to listen to your instinct your gut like I've d- ignored my instinct on several like I mean all the time and but I, even the way the way they use it like an instinct like it's not real in that book that I was talking about um earlier they talk about like the communication side of a woman's ba- brain being like three times the size of a man's and that no is that not true that the communication side is larger so I was it, lied to <laughs> by a scientist <laughs> Men, they, men and women's brains aren't all that different. I mean, no, really but there is di- there is a difference in the size of the communication part. That's why men are so bad at it. And I know that's a generalization, but like, honestly, like my ex boyfriend would he'd rather have thrown himself off a pier than discussed how he felt about anything. It was so frustrating. Whereas all I wanted to do was talk about my feelings. He's like, oh my god, are you having another feeling? I'm like, yeah, <laughs> I'm having a feeling. I think we should talk about it all. Let's unpack my feeling. Um. One thing I would say to you though is, so everybody's brain is different. Broadly speaking, they're in different places. But you see, your brain, bits of your brain can get bigger and smaller depending on you know whether yeah. you're actively using them or whatever. But um, one thing actually, what you're referring to as instinct, I wouldn't refer to as instinct. So our instinctive behaviors tend to be things like you know running in the face of you know fear or the instinctive response you know to a threat. Yeah, I would actually call that listening to your brain, listening to your past experiences, actually letting your brain 
do a lot of the work for you because basically it has all the information yeah and if you've set that problem to it it can actually go back all the previous no actually that worked in that situation it's not there's not a voice in your head if you know what i mean but your brain can make those connections mm. and then come out with actually this is a good idea now that's happening unconsciously to you but it's based on it's an informed idea because it's based on you know previous things that worked out for you or didn't work out for you or what you're good at and what will work. Yeah. Much more so than somebody coming over and saying, oh, I don't think you'd like that. How the hell do they know whether yeah, you'd I like know, that yeah. or not? Because they're not living inside yeah. you. And what gives you reward is is what key. So I would actually say, instead of saying, and this is terrible, I just asked you for a tip and now I'm, not, I'm saying to you, don't say trust like, your instinct. Not, that's not, it's not going to work. Trust your brain. No, because yeah. that's what it is. And actually, to be honest, I think you're, undervaluing yourself by saying trust your instinct because we all have almost identical instincts yeah. in that instinctive behavior means you know that um whereas actually really what you're 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 talking about is trust the richness of my experience trust all the things i've learned all the things that i'm good you know, I'm val valuable. I have valuable information. Yeah. I'm valid to make that decision. I think I'm very good at reading people. Mm -hmm. That is something I am good at. I think I have a fairly high emotional intelligence, mm -hmm. um, which is which is helpful in my line of work. And that's something. So before in relationships or with friendships and stuff, and I would ignore that. I would. Because you know this kind of confirmation bias. You want to believe what you want to believe. So you ignore your brain. Mm -hmm. And if this man is saying that that woman is just his friend from the gym, even though you're pretty sure they're riding, <laughs> you just go along with it because you want him to be telling you the truth. So as I get older, I, I do trust, trust my brain yeah. more. Yeah. Yeah, I, I think, but when I when they call it female intuition, I feel like that makes it sound like some sort of wizardry or something. No. Whereas it's not. It's like exactly, it's, it's, and, and uh, they're real thoughts. You are really processing and taking in information. And you're taking in information and, and reading and, things. Yeah, and I mean that's why. So it's like you said earlier. You know, uh, for smoking, it was because you can see your face and you wanted to stop. I stopped smoking for the same reason. Mm. It wasn't all the death messages on the on the packet I because know. we feel immortal. You know, yeah, we I just know. do. You just don't make the connection. You don't, you don't think it'll ever happen to you. Uh, and you said because you can't see your heart or your liver but the thing is like people don't even think about their brain mm. Do you know like it, it doesn't even come into the equation at all and it's like that's why this podcast is called super brain it is the most amazing um structure like it's the most complex structure in the universe and, sure. and and we're just not we don't value it or use it or you always read those stories about like someone gets a knock on the head and they wake up and they can speak fluent mandarin now obviously <laughs> i just made that up but you know what i mean <laughs> i do know so what you're you like, mean you've the, you've the you've the opportunity for or the potential for so much in there and whatever way mine is wired now if i got a knock i could be a different person well, it depends. It would depend where you got the knock. But yeah. actually, if you got the knock in, in your towards your frontal lobes, an awful lot of people will say they've had a complete personality change. Now, the reason for that is your frontal lobes are bi-directionally connected to all the other areas of your brain. So it works both ways. So they are involved in like inhibiting behavior. Mm. So they're the thing that says when you walk into the room in front of your mat, like you said to me, can I curse? Um, that actually it's your frontal lobes that, 
that made you ask that yeah is this live can i say it can i can i curse whatever so if that's damaged you actually can't access your previous behaviors all the learned behaviors and it's a lot of the learned behaviors is what makes you because yeah. you have patterns of behavior you behave this way when you're on stage you behave this way with your friends this way with your mom when that's damaged you don't have access to that if your brain is working in one way it's habitual you can change that if it's something you don't want that's what i really like it's that the you know there would be some people would think that your personality is your personality it's very much set in stone and like I don't think that I think I'm a completely different person to the person I was probably even five years ago but some things have remained um like I'm much more organized now because I've had to become organized yeah. whereas I just accepted myself as a chaotic person because I was I didn't have a reason to not be chaotic now I have to be organized you I cannot miss another flight to be organized yeah and you know that yeah because you lose a gig I yeah. was on a plane the other day to Iceland and felt so sorry there was a just mustard you know the band just mustard an no. Irish band and ham sandwich <laughs> it's a ham sandwich <laughs> sounds a bit like it doesn't it <laughs> I really hope you made that mistake because that is hilarious no it's just mustard oh because there's a band called ham sandwich no, well, they should get together shut <laughs> up that's gas <laughs> they're called just mustard but we're sitting on this flight I was going to, to Iceland with my friends for fun and, and we were in the front row like we had front row seats as they, at this horrendous drama it was unfolding all the band they got this super gig you know what it's like yeah. in us uh, um, in Iceland and then a whole TV thing and they're waiting for their their bass player to arrive and they're asking them not to close the door and they're not and, and they kept giving them another few minutes and then we were saying give them another few minutes you know and and he never made it on the plane and we were then talking to the guy who was sitting beside us and I just said you know my friend said to him um has this happened before and he said no it's not the first time and she said well you know maybe you need to get another bass player and we may have to change the name of the band but <laughs> he said um oh but he's such a brilliant bass player and I says well you've no fucking bass player now yeah I you? know you know as brilliant as he is you're not getting to do this gig and I hate to tell you this past behavior predicts beauty future beha past behavior predicts future behavior unless you actively work to change that yeah. behavior yeah and, and that's why people get so it. much out of therapy and stuff because and and, and um uh cognitive behavioral um cbt and all that stuff because you th like that was like what well, the way i had to remap the way i thought about food i had to completely overhaul my relationship with food and it took years and it was so slow and so difficult but I was like I, d I have no other choice here I have to do this and um, so I agree with you when people have like kind of anti-social parts to their personality or whatever or like that like unreliable or unprofessional they have to make a concerted effort to change it I have to make a concerted effort to be more organized and I think in a way his band members were facilitating it by yeah he should saying, be fired oh, it's okay they well you know even well now everybody makes a mistake and we can all be late but saying look you know unless you're, yeah. you're out so just kind of winding up now if if you were because i'm sure there could be people listening who may be struggling with um eating disorders and you know issues is there any kind of advice or would you prefer not to give advice or anything that you could say from your experience that well i would say was when i was unwell i <laughs> I would say start the work now because it's it does take time. What I would say is it's I I'm so much happier. Oh, that's wonderful. Without it, and I never saw that as an option. I just assumed that I'd be forced to get better, and that it would just mean I was always unhappy with my body, that I would just hate myself forever, and I would always consider myself fat and everything. And when you actually work through that, it's so much nicer. You're just free. You can just live your life. You're not like this 
like shadow over you all the time or like you're kind of under someone's thumb the whole time um that you're at you'll actually be much happier out of it that's a lovely and i think that's a that's a hard thing to remember when you're in it because you do feel like you're kind of sacrificing something by getting better and actually you're not did you feel did you think you were happy when you were unwell yeah i thought i was taught you were happy yeah and it was it spiraled then eventually when i eventually went into treatment because it was like i kind of hit a rock bottom moment of saying like i can't actually live like this anymore it this is no longer worth you can't live yeah exactly that's the thing it is you know it's huge fatality yeah right but i was like i can't live like this anymore so i I, in the first kind of the it was all in stages the first bit was like right i need to figure out how to maintain this weight at a in a healthier way which of course was absolute madness because i was incredibly underweight but it took me a while to let go of the anorexic thinking that like I really struggled with that and, and putting on weight was hard and I'd feel like I'd bloomed and I'd actually put on like a pound or all that um but you have to kind of fight back and you have to choose it every day like I still have to choose it every day yes. I still have to choose if I put on, put on weight like I'm half a stone up at what I would usually be at the moment and I'm going to Thailand soon um and I'm like oh and then I'm like no you look fabulous thank you you I'm do like, look it's fabulous. absolutely grand it doesn't matter you've you've a lovely life you're free to do this you're free to do that you're not your body you've more to offer the world like it's still you know you, and, you and, have to choose it every day is what yeah, I'm saying yeah and you may have a you know a, you know a, an underlying predisposition to think a certain mm. way but that that's the you know all of us have predispositions for certain things like some people are predispositioned to become alcoholics or yeah. whatever it doesn't mean that it's predestined or predetermined it means that you actually have to just work a bit harder than other yeah. people to override what may be the first response and then other days yeah and other days i get an absolute kick out of being recovered and i get an absolute kick out of look at me eating a sandwich look at this (laughs) look at me living my life eating a sandwich like i I get a kick out of it i enjoy it and that's never something i thought that i would say or or think yeah um yeah it's better on this side of it much better thank you so much to joanne for being great crack and superbly honest i love her super brain If you're struggling with an eating disorder, I hope that Joanne's sage advice to start the work sooner rather than later helps. And while it's not easy, I hope you find comfort in knowing that life is better on the right side of recovery much better. Joanne is currently bringing her brilliant brand of comedy to venues throughout the UK and Ireland. Check out her website, joannemcnally.com, to find a show near you. Thank you to Collaborative Studios. For regular updates and bonus material, follow Superbrain Podcast on Instagram and at Sabina underscore Brennan on Twitter. Subscribe to Superbrain on Apple, Spotify, Google, Acast or wherever you consume your podcasts. And remember, if you love it, rate it, review it and share it. My name is Sabina Brennan and you've been listening to Superbrain, the podcast for everyone with a brain. 